Hi, welcome to the Chasing Brighter podcast with your hosts, Kelly and Jessica. Join us on our journey to find the best versions of ourselves. I'm very excited about how my hair looks great. You know what else makes your hair look great, Jess? Washing it. (laughs) The um, Warrior Strong Wellness Collagen Peptides and Bone Broth. I've noticed a huge difference with just the health of my hair. I just have naturally thin hair. Collagen is so good for hair, nails, skin. Check out warriorstrongwellness.com for their collagen peptides and bone broth or their multi-collagen protein powder. If you use the Chasing Brighter code, all one word, Chasing Brighter, you can get 10% off of your purchase. Hi, welcome to the first episode in our series on healing and coping with grief and loss. Each month, we sometimes try to pick a topic to focus on in a given month. And it really helps us kind of figure out what kind of guests we want to talk with and the information that we want to share and learn both for ourselves and our listeners. And so September is also suicide prevention month. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so that sort of got us thinking about talking about that topic. And so we wanted to get that topic broadened a little bit more and wanted to talk about grief. Jessica is a therapist and she has some experience and she has a network of um, colleagues that she's known over the years. And so we've been able to tap into that a bit for this month as well. And also, you know, if anybody who listens to these knows myself, Kelly is um, a person who doesn't like to talk about sad things. Um, I don't like to feel the feels, which is part of any process. And, um, I certainly don't like to talk about sad things. So when Jess and I talked about what we were going to, um, tackle this month, I was not really excited about this. You didn't want to do a whole month. You're like, Oh, let's just do one episode. (laughs) I didn't, I don't want to talk about sad things. Um, but we are all in a stage in our life where we either have experienced loss or will, or have, we like all facing know somebody. our mortality, facing the mortality of our family members. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we felt like this is a good topic to sort of like check in. And, yeah. you know, for those of us who have experienced loss or for those of us who know somebody, you know, we wanted to give you guys some more tools and tips on navigating that. Maybe this episode doesn't resonate with you today, but maybe in the future, if you want to come back to it and revisit it. That would be great too. Right. Yeah. I think like, um, we've experienced a lot of loss in our life and I, I, I bring it back to our paternal grandmother was, uh, the beginning of her career, like a teacher in like a one room schoolhouse. And I remember her telling me that farm kids had a better grasp of the circle of life of life and death. I don't know if that's why you and I have um, the understanding that we do about life and death and the circle of life, but I will never forget. We grew up on it. We were raised in our early years of our life on a pig farm. And I remember the neighbor had hunting dogs and them running over, getting out and like grabbing a kitten in front of me and killing the kitten in front of me. I was like three. Right. And then you see kittens being born. And then you see pigs being born. And then, you know what I mean? As you see all these animals like living and dying and going around you and you kind of understand life is, is, has an ending. I don't know. Does that, do you remember all that when we were little? Yeah, I do. And I also remember watching the pig get slaughtered in the barn or whatever. Um, And that was interesting. Um, But I didn't think about it sad. I was like, whoa, that is weird. Um, 
I think that it's always been around us and aware. And so even if you think about our maternal grandmother who, you know, lost a child at a, when, when, when she was, you know, when I think she, that was her last child. She the seven. had, mm-hmm. yes. And so for the way we grew up, it was always there. It wasn't felt there wasn't shame around it. Um, it wasn't something that was like swept under the rug. It just was. And so it was very much talked about, even if it was, you know, whether it was a tragic, um, you know, an accident of sorts, or if it was something that was intentional to like, I think there wasn't secrets about it. Like grandma had her brother, our paternal grandmother had a brother who died when he was like a teenager. And she talked about Perry and how he died and she would talk about it. You know, it wasn't like the secret. So our, um, our, grandparents we we have a catholic family that's probably why all have a lot of siblings and our grandmother was one of 12 our parents are each one of six so i also think when you have such a huge family like there's also a lot of death because you know like your great great aunt dies or your great grandpa dies, or you know what i mean like i just feel like people were kind of always being born and dying because the family was so huge. There was like pregnancies and deaths a lot. And we also talked about it, right? We'd process it and talk about it and being raised. um, I don't know if Catholicism came in it for you, but like they, you know, they definitely talked about, you know, we were given a narrative about it, right? By mom. They're with the angels. They're in heaven now, you know? So then you'd feel like, okay. So it felt like you still had a connection with them, even though they right. were physically here. I agree. Right. I think that helps, um, a lot, especially as a child and sort of understanding, um, that process. Yeah. Um, and so I think another reason, and we'll get to it, but what we're going to be talking about today, you know, is the grieving process, um, just the stages of grief and what we think about that coping strategies for navigating grief, how to support someone who's grieving. Um, and we also, and you know, how to move forward and find meaning. And we also want to talk about suicide today. So just to note that there, this is a trigger warning and this may be difficult for you, um, to listen to. So please care for yourself and stop listening if it becomes too heavy for you. Um, but we noticed that, you know, um, you know, factually and research suicide is um on the rise um in my practice i'm seeing much more survivors of suicide than i ever have in like the 16 years i've practiced and i know kelly and i both know people recently and you know the last few years um who have lost a loved one to suicide or we've lost people that we know to suicide so we also want to be able to talk about that today a little bit um what do you think like are you familiar with the stages of grief Cause there's like a million of them, but like lay people not in mental health. Right. Yeah. So no, it's not like I can rattle off, you know, the scientific method, um, <laughs> pretty well, but like, this is definitely not something that is, um, intuitive. I haven't had any education on it, but when I started the research for this month, it's like, everybody has 
everybody knows this. Yeah, who's I in get, and it, like a lot of things annoy me, but like I remember reading something a long time ago is that grief is not linear and it's up, down, and all around. And what's interesting yeah. is it's like there are a lot of theories of grief, and we're going to talk about two. And there are a lot of different people that think of different stages, but the one that people always talk about is five stages of grief. And I was aware of it before being a therapist because they're always talking about in movies and books. But what's interesting is that the five stages of grief right, were developed by this researcher and became famous in her book in like 1969. Her book was called On Death and Dying. But her model was to describe people with terminal illness facing their own death, not about survivors. So I think that's fascinating that now we're like, oh, this is what people go through. But it was really for the people who knew they were dying. Mm. So that's fascinating. And those are the five denial anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And they do say that this is not about you going through them one, two, three, four, five. But I really think that's how it's presented to us and how I we agree. Think we're I think to like grieve linear, linear, linearly. Yeah, I that was one thing also that I noticed was that really, and maybe that's just how we've evolved as a society to know that, you know, you can't, everyone is different. This process is very personal to each person. And so you can't just put names on everything and assume it's going to apply to everyone. And I think this is that the other thing I was going to say though, is for a vast majority of us, the way we can understand a concept is to have some sort of a mental model, right? A framework. And so I think the great part about this is it provides a framework for sort of like understanding, right? And coming to terms with um, this process. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can, like, if you were like, oh, this person passed away and I'm super pissed about it, something must be wrong with me because I'm not sad. Then you can understand, like, oh, there's all these different feelings I can have and that's okay. Yeah. Because it's more um, yeah. important to feel the feels, Jess. Right. Yeah, that's right. It is. Feel the feels. Um, and I think like a lot of people don't accept, don't get to acceptance. You know? I think it's interesting that you said that this was really kind of about a person's process and sort of their own mortality. Cause that's really yeah. it is hard. It makes I think more sense that way. Yeah. And also I haven't been faced with that. But, you know, like I remember, um, even one of our aunts who passed away where I feel like she was very much accepting of her, her mortality and was, was ready to go. And I was like, wow, how could she do that? I don't want her to go, mm. you know, Aunt Jane. Yeah. Yeah. That was really hard. Are we going to cry? I can tell I'm going to start crying because you're going to start crying. I'm not going to cry. <laughs> so, so, okay. um, yeah, when we, we had an aunt who had like, we were close to, and she had like stomach issues and it was like stomach cancer and you're dead. Right. I mean, it was just very much like, it was very, very fast in yeah. six months. And at first I felt like. <clears throat> she didn't want her quality of life to go down and it was definitely like terminal. Like there was just nothing that they were going to do. And so she had wanted to not <clears throat> go through like all the treatment because tr the treatment can be terrible, right? It's like killing everything in your body. And I remember writing her this long letter and she wrote me back. Who knows? I don't, I want to know where it is. 
Um, but I feel like she was definitely, you're right, like an acceptance. And because she was an acceptance, um, that was so helpful to her family. And yeah. I think that it goes back to that narrative. Like when I see people who have survived a loss, I see a lot of people much later in life who lost a parent very young and then the whole family dynamic changed and they yeah. never had those end of life conversations. They never had those conversations of like, it's okay. You're going to be okay. And talk. it was like, no, we, we were in like that person was in denial if it was an illness and didn't talk about it and then allow for closure for the family or it was like a sudden tragic situation where no one talked about it yeah again you know so i i definitely think community like talking about it is is key to healing right you got to feel it to heal it yeah absolutely and then i don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about the stages but like my favorite that i found and it come across this until 2021 is wordens for tasks of morning. Yes. So I like the tasks much better. And maybe that's because I like to check boxes on lists. So I'm like, oh, I can check my task. But um, psychologist um, J. William Worden, he provides a framework of four tasks that help us understand how people journey through grief. And he says the tasks are in no specific order and you can go back and forth um, from one another over time. And the first task is to accept the reality of the loss. So it says like, for example, the reality may begin to set in immediately after the death when you must call the mortuary, attend the memorial or pick up the ashes. Right. But like integrating the reality of their death means like kind of taking it in. Um, and, yeah. um, task two is the process to process the pain of grief that grief is experienced emotionally cognitively physically and spiritually um because you know how people are like oh get over it you've got to move on um but like we need to support that this person is going to be processing the pain of grief for yes. an defined amount of time the third one is to adjust to a world without the deceased um you know external adjustments you know taking on responsibilities learning new skills um internal adjustments ad adapt uh, adapt to your new reality i think about when grandma when grandma martin died um we were <clears throat> not living near her and so I, it took me a very long time to adjust to her not being there. You know, you'd pick up the phone and want to call or, you know, you'd be like, oh, let me tell grandma or blah, 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 grandma, grandma. And it was like, she's not here. <laughs> I feel like it took me a couple of years because I was not seeing her every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you weren't faced with it every single day she was gone. Yeah. Be like every couple of weeks I'd want to reach out and then you'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, she's not here anymore. Um, task four to find an enduring. And when I say she's not here anymore, I do believe her spirit <laughs> is around. And that's one of my narratives and beliefs is that, you know, we can um, kind of feel and connect to our loved ones. Like I think um, they can still kind of be around. Um, when we talk about, did you read the lovely bones? Yes. Did you, I loved, and that's what Corrine said. Like that's, did you I'm like really that narrative about what happens to us? When you die, did you like that narrative? I totally like it took that on to my belief system. I I think that's a um, wonderful book. I read that one. I read it way before I had kids. Well, I, I think, yeah. I mean, I read that as soon as it came out. And it was back in the day when I started reading again, because I really hadn't read 
Well, I shouldn't say again, when I started to love reading. Yeah. Um, but that is a great book about that. I think it was, a, it became a movie, didn't it? It did. Okay. So spoiler alert, if you want to read The Lovely Bones and have not, go ahead and fast forward the next couple minutes. Yes, Kelly, it was a movie that came out after I had kids and I watched maybe five minutes of it and I started crying. I can't do it. No. So in The Lovely Bones, first chapter, the 12-year-old, 13-year-old daughter is murdered, sexually assaulted and murdered. And so the book is from her perspective, watching her family grieve. Right. So it's how the whole family grieves, how the mother grieves, how the father grieves, how the sister grieves. And so for her, she was like working for them to see her. She was obsessed with them being okay because the family fell apart after her disappearance. And so she was like trying and focusing so much. To me, it kind of explained ghosts or like how you could see someone because she wanted them to see her and she would kind of move things. Mm But then these other people from the afterlife were like, come with us. And it was like, if she wanted to move on, she'd have to let go. And it was like, she didn't want to let go of what, because she wanted to watch her family and make sure they were okay. And so it was like kind of also her journey of being able to let go and move on. And so I took that on immediately and was like, okay, that's what happens. That makes sense to me that people can come and visit and make sure we're okay. But sometimes they have to move on. Sometimes they can become spiritual guides or angels or whatever you want to say. So anyway, um, I, Dr. Kareen, who we're going to have on. The next two episodes, Dr. Crean Cherik, who is a, a chaplain and grief counselor, um, really recommends that book um, if you kind of want to understand. So so anyways, we're recommending that. Um, I know I, I went off the rails, but then just going back to the tasks, task four, find an enduring connection with the deceased in the midst of embarking on a new life. So, you know, that could be like, you know, having, you know, uh, what do they call that for Mexican culture? An ofreda, where you have pictures and and candles, you know, that you, like an offering place. Different mm-hmm. cultures have photos of that person. When um, when our grandpa passed away, they did a scholarship fund Yeah, um, for the high school. Some people start charities, mm-hmm. um, finding a way to celebrate their life in an enduring way right? Like that. Yeah. And, and also I think about our mother has like, like her father was a POW. So she has this whole wall set up mm-hmm. of her parents' photos. And um, so I think a lot about like photos or a connection can be like praying to that person or thinking about that person, or like you said, a memorial of some sort, but like finding a, a way to connect. Um so those are kind of the griefs. I, I I liked the tasks more. Um, there are if you are interested and none of those feel right to you, there's so many. I encourage you to to go and look um and see if there's one that kind of feels good to you. But just to summarize, you know, the grieving process, um, it's unlimited. The time is unlimited. It's not 48 hours like your work gives you two days off and then you have to be over it. It can take years and years and that's okay. That's normal. And it's up, down and all around two steps forward, one step back, you know, it's all over the place and that's okay. And that's all normal. Yeah. And it's, it's very personal. And I think that's the hard part, even when we have, you know, when we know people going through things versus ourselves is because it makes it even more difficult to support them because it is so personal and it's hard to really know how everyone experiences it a different way. Right. And so it's like, how do you 
help someone. And I always think with anything, right? Like, listen, you know? Yeah. Be a good listener. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things when you are kind of coping with grief and trying to navigate that process, you know, and we'll continue to kind of talk through even some of those tips um, and strategies is that, um, you know, this goes back to when you're challenged with anything, do you got to do the work, whether it's even just Googling and doing some research and figuring out what what resonates with you listening to a podcast or a book. Um, but let's go through those coping, coping strategies, Jess. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about <clears throat> at the beginning is just like, when you talk about helping someone, it's like seeking support from others. And that can include a support group and a, a clinician or therapist, or that can just be your loved ones or your friends. But like, you know, making sure that when you're caring for yourself, you're not isolating. Yeah. And I have, um, a friend who just lost her mom and, um, she was talking about that. She joined, um, an online support group and just really finding that that's really helpful for her. And I think a lot of people may not even, it's even taken her months to even realize that she's still grieving. Like it's not something that, Oh, just a couple of weeks it goes away. Like it, and, and knowing how to kind of continue to sort of cope with it and address it in a longer longer term way. And I think about it like, and I need to tell this to Teresa, who's been a guest on the podcast, but you know, we, Teresa lost her sister. Um, we, we lost Mary this year and, um, she said, I'm having a really hard time. Like I'm having a really hard time moving on almost like something was wrong with her. You know what I mean? Where it's like, I just can't get past this. It's like, hello, it's still, you know what I mean? It's just been a few months. And I just think our culture again, thinks it needs to be, you know, let's go through the five stages of grief. That's take about five weeks and you'll be ready to go by week six. And it's like, no, you know, all of us take a long time to adjust to a world without a loved one. Um, and that's where it's good to reach out to others. And I think too, as always, I think like with everything, can you just say like a go-to strategy for every single thing ever is to self-care. practice self-care. Self-care. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah. But- Yeah. I mean, it's part of our own like homeostasis of our body, right? Like it's a, it's a biological and mental, um, whole mind, body, soul is self-care, right? We always have to take care of ourselves, um, and be conscious and mindful of that, especially when you're grieving. Absolutely. And so I think that includes, you know, mind, body, spirituality, right? So like for my, for your body and your mind sleeping, that you're eating, that you're moving your body, um, all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think like expressing and releasing emotions. It's feeling the feels that's part of it, right? You have to go through that process. Yeah. And so that can be journaling, Again, talking to others, giving yourself time to cry. Um, my partner, it's really interesting, doesn't seem to be really emotional, but I was going through a tough time and he was like, well, are you setting aside time to cry? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he goes, I will go in my car and I will like make my, so I will give myself time to cry and I will make myself cry to help me through that. And I was like, 
Cause I, I think like, although I talk about emotions and feel emotions <clears throat> when it comes to me experiencing something, um, very deeply, I, um, compartmentalize it and lock it away and just act like I'm fine. And I have not given myself the space to really process things. So that was really interesting. So I was like, I would journal and I would sit there and I'd make myself cry. Cause that's how it's feeling, but it's so locked away. Sometimes for us, it's hard to tap into. So I thought that was yeah. cool advice to like, give yourself a space and time and quiet. Yes. You allow yourself yes. to just let it out. You know, do you do that? I do Jess. Yeah. And really ever since I started going through therapy where I learned to feel the feels and not neglect my emotions where like now, if I feel an emotion, I just let it go. Or I know I need to let it go. Um, because I know I have to go through that process. And I've even really been trying to, you know, I do that even in front of the kids. If I'm something is happening or whatever, I'm upset or something, um, just to go through that. And I've even learned with the kids, right? Like when they process emotions, just getting in that habit, um, yeah. of doing that because you need to kind of get through that. And it is amazing, right? after you have that crying episode or whatever emotion you're going through, you feel so much better. That catharsis, right? That release. Yeah. I also think like, I love, you're the one that brought this to my attention. And I know we read it in a book, but anyways, like Tara Brock talks so much about the rain method. Yeah. And to me, yes. I like that investigate piece, which so to me, I could recognize it, right? I could allow it, but then, you know, maybe move on, but that investigate, of kind of like, well, why am I, why am I upset? Where's that yeah. coming from? What's that about? Um, and then nurture that. I like those last two steps, um, which I think are important too, because it can be like, we can grieve all kinds of things, right? Yeah. Like, hi, we're in America. A there was just 10,000 shootings in the last 48 hours, which are horrible. What about the fires in Maui? I mean, yes, the loss of yeah, like losing right. everything you own. Yeah, And then that might be triggering. You might not know. And you're like, what the hell's the matter with me? I'm crying about these people I don't know on Maui. And it's like, investigate that. What's that about for you? Is there some fear there? Is that just because it's a human experience and you're yeah. feeling empathy for those mm -hmm. people? Yeah. Like, what are all those feelings about for you? You know? I did cry with the kids when I was talking about the virus of Maui, by the way. Well, I'm just, I, so anger is a secondary emotion preceded by pain or fear. So out of fear, I'm fucking pissed about the shooting in North Carolina yesterday because a video came to me and I sent you it to Jacksonville? you. No, Kelly. Oh, <laughs> so sorry, many. Kelly, you're I'm sorry. wrong shooting, You're Kelly. talking about the, the no, grad I'm talking student. about a guy who legally got an um, AK... 15 or whatever the hell, I don't know, guns, but an automatic rifle at North Carolina on their first day back at school at the campus and killed the faculty member. And the video was like the, the college students jumping out the window. And I just like saw my kids like jumping out a window and going to college. You know what I mean? Like, ain't no thing. That wasn't Let me like just avoid the thing. front door. Yeah. That yeah. wasn't a thing that like we were fearful of when we went to school, but and so like I'm angry telling my children instead of like crying I wasn't crying telling my children I was like well there's another guy with a gun here we go kids and did you take UNC <laughs> off Gabby's college list <laughs> no but I'm like I don't want her to go to a school where anyone's ever heard of so maybe they'll be 
<laughs> I'm like, what's the best? Um, I'm going to have to look at a map of what college is best for you not to get killed. Okay. By someone shooting you. That's a new map I'll be creating. Um, all right. Again, we've digressed. So another uh, way to cope uh, with grief and loss is um, establishing like rituals and remembrance. And so we already kind of talked about that a little yeah. bit, right? Like, I um, mean, also mom does um my our mother our grandmother passed away in 2015 and our mom and our aunt here like to go out on her birthday our grandma was um a a Coors light drinker (laughs) and uh they'll go have like their they found like a little bar or our grandma's name was Viola and it's called like Viola's they've gone there before to have a drink and you know have a beer for her or you know like there are things you can do um uh, to to celebrate and memorialize them on the day they passed away on their birthday um like we've talked about earlier you know here you know you can do a name a bench name a tree you know Mm -hmm. put something in their namesake um again a scholarship um all kinds of different or things. Or a ritual too. of something yeah. that you might have shared with that person that you did regularly. And, um, you know, you may continue to do that um, yeah. in a different yeah. way. Yeah. Like when uh, we just talked about Mary passing away, when we went to San Diego with our girls, Teresa and I drove to the campus. And so we drove around and Teresa would talk about, oh my gosh, I remember taking Mary here and here and, you know, just having, opening up a space to allow her to remember, you know, all of those memories of her, you know? So anyway. And the final one, which I I thought was really helpful too, is finding an outlet for your grief. So part of the, um, you know, when you're going through the grieving process is grieving and grief, it's energy. And so that's energy that um, you, you can invest in another activity or outlet um, to help that flow, to help that get released like and any other emotion. And so, you know, maybe it's picking up a new hobby. Maybe it's, um, you know, it's kind of like being mindful of what that outlet is and using it. Maybe it's coloring, maybe it's, you know, taking a class. It just, I, I like that you call it energy because I think about that, kind of hierarchy that uh that dr Cherix sent uh, she had already sent to me previously that i can sh- show you at some point and send it to you but but basically like right if you think that you know we're all made of energy everything's made of energy there's mm-hmm. energy all around and when you're doing the work and you know feeling really great and meditating and doing the things you have a higher vibrational energy but when you were in grief you automatically drop down to a low vibrational level and so i also think it's kind of like if you think about that how what are some outlets or things that you can do to help raise your vibrational Mm -hmm. energy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it also kind of, you know, I think these are all really good and interrelated because I think also part of that can turn into a little bit of self-care too. Yeah. 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 And I think just going back to, and we talked a little bit about it, but just what do you do um, if someone in your life is grieving and, and are you grieving together and you, you want to look at how to support them? I don't think it, it takes like a lot. I just think like a couple of things. And like we said, it's just listening. Does listening mean talking? No, it means asking questions, summarizing, you know, you, you sound like you're really struggling. You want to tell me about it? We have two ears and one mouth for a reason, Jess. Yeah. We're meant to be listeners. 
Yes. And I think um, not saying I know how you feel. Right. Yep. Um, being very careful. So um, because we make it about us sometimes. Like, oh, I remember when my brother died. Let me tell you about the story. And it's like, no, then you're making it about you. Right. Hmm. I agree. And this is this part you know, and we wanted to kind of cover this, I did some research on it because this to me is the hardest thing. I really clam up when it comes to helping others. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And, you know, there's always the give me, I'm sorry for your loss and moving on. And, you know, it's trying to figure out like what to say, how to say it. Um, and in some ways it's just about listening and, and being there. Right. Um, it's, it's also hard when, um, so it's when you have people who you're close to, like my husband just lost an aunt. And so my father-in-law just lost his sister. Right. And so, um, it's, it's different when it's that versus, you know, somebody who you're not really, really close with, but they've been going through a loss and, you know, you don't see them enough and you're not sure like what to say but you want to say something that you know that they care. And I, I think one of the things when I was doing this research is sometimes when people are going through a loss, um, it's important to say, it is important to say the right thing and not the wrong thing just because they are hurting and they're going through pain. And so just being conscious of that and, and mindful and, and thinking through, you know, what you want to say and how you want to say it. I think a great one is, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what you're going through, but I'm here for you. Yeah. Is really valid. Right. And I think, I think like Teresa is so good at this. My friend Teresa is so good at this. And so I take a page out of her playbook, but like, I think I have gotten stuck in analysis paralysis before because I want to do something big or I don't want to bother them or I don't. So I'll say like, let me know if you need anything, which then I found out I was doing something. It's like, that's putting something on their plate. Like if I say, let me know if you need, then that's a task you have to do. You have to let me know. And so just do like an act an act an act. And so like, um, uh, you know, a card, send a plant, send a text, you know, just reach out anything just to send a text. I'm so sorry to hear about that. You know, I'm thinking of you. Yeah. Um, I know means a lot. And I thought it was cool. I thought this was so cool. So when, when Mary passed away, I was like, okay, I've got to do something. I'm going to, I'm get cause I'm not going to be stuck in this analysis paralysis. And then it's three months later and I've done nothing, which I've definitely done before. So I was like, I'm going to go get like a, a coffee for Teresa. And I'm like, cause at first I, I didn't want to bother her cause she lost her sister and it was terrible. But then I was like, no, she needs me there. You know, it's like, what do you do? What do you do? So I was like, I'm just going to push my, I said, cause she said like, let me, I think she was like, where she'd just be crying all the time and in pajamas. And so I was like, well, I'm coming over. I said, I'm dropping a coffee off. If you want to open the door and let me in, you can, if not, <laughs> don't open the door. And so she's like, of course you can come in. You know, she's like, I'm a mess with blah. But anyway, somebody had dropped off like Einstein bagel, like a coffee carafe and like a thing of bagels and just put it on our porch. And I was um, like, that's so smart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just like dropping off a plant, dropping off. And then the reason I love a plant, I personally love a plant is when our grandma passed, my grandma was a huge plant person, yes. our maternal grandmother, paternal grandmother. And so I got all these plants 
when she passed away because she got so many we divvied them yeah, up between everybody. yes and then i had that plant for years and years yes. and that was like a, a remembrance and memorial yes. of, of my you know of my grandmother so mm-hmm. you know a plant flowers a card drop off you know whatever like you know just drop off a card just go to their house stick it on their porch the end mail a card like we had a a, a member of our, our our softball family lost their grandfather and we were like okay let's just get a plant you know what i mean like very quickly what are you gonna do okay found a plant and it was cool because this plant had like an ornament or something. So it was like a little re- remembrance thing, you know, a beautiful little thing. And then it's like, hop on, get the plant, send the plant. You know what I mean? Like, then you feel like, okay. And to all those people who received those things, they have given feedback that was very special to them that they really, it wasn't like, oh, you just said, sorry for your loss. They were like, that meant a lot that you, you recognize that I'm grieving and recognize something happened to me. I, um, my one of my friends was at a memorial for her brother in Denver and I wasn't sure what to do, but I wanted to do something. And so I didn't want to get a plant because it was more like a party. It wasn't an actual service. And so I really just kind of racked my brain brain around something and I wanted to do something while she was there. And so I, they were staying at an Airbnb and we, they do Instacart. And so I ended up having like toiletries delivered, like lotion, shower gel, body scrub, just a little bit of like a pampering thing. Right. And I felt, I just, I didn't know what to get her, but I didn't want to send food because I'm sure they had already bought food. So it was like all these things. I was like, what do I do? And, um, and she really liked that and it worked out fine. And it was nice because it was Instacart. So I did it. The other part too is planning. Right. So sometimes I find myself where it's like the day of, I need to like, oh crap, I need to send something. And so figuring out ways to be creative on what you can, what you can get. But I also, but I think that's where sometimes I got stuck on trying to be creative. And if you would have just sent a banana bread, you know what I mean? It's just like, for sure. We do want to be creative, but some, but it's like, just again, like if you're just like, all I can do is send a dozen donuts. That is, I, the feedback I've received from anybody who's been grieving felt supportive for me, same thing. Anybody that has reached out to me, um, when I have been grieving, that's been really special to me. I'm a person that, um, doesn't want to like host company when I'm grieving. Um, but it is very special to me when people text me to recognize, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you and I each had a miscarriage. Right. I don't want to host a party and have talked to anybody about it. <laughs> I mean, I'll share that I lost a baby, but I don't, you know, but it was like, I had a lot of friends reach out and just <clears throat> send a text. And that was really special to me, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> any, any special things in the way that you've received support while you've been in grief? Um, I really like one of the notes was just, what can I do to help? Um, which I know we talked about, but sometimes, um, I think it's really letting people know you want to help them, whether it's big or small, that you're just there to help them out. And, um, it might be just grabbing some sour cream at the grocery store or whatever that is, but something that you really feel like you're kind of helping, helping them get through their days. Yeah. And and I think it's like, I, I needed people to watch the kids. And I think it's like, if you want to tell people to do something, like we'd do it. If you told me, Hey, I need you to go grab whatever. Yeah. I'd go do it for you. 
Yeah. And I think anybody would, so you don't need to have feelings about it. Just it's okay to be vulnerable and ask for help. Um, I think, you know, to kind of summarize with talking to experts um, on grieving, one of the things that we found that is very powerful to help people um, through the grieving process and, and helping them to move forward is finding meaning from the loss. Yes. You know, and um, <clears throat> one way to find meaning, like we've talked about before, is connecting with others who've experienced similar grief. Sharing your stories, thoughts, and emotions with others can be very healing. And like you said, your friend that joined a support group, that was very healing and helped them mm-hmm. find meaning in it. Um, and I think... Uh, Sometimes we won't know till later, but like we've talked when we talked to Dr. Cherick, um, it completely changed her career and her life. Yeah. And everything that she does. And so think about the hundreds, if not thousands of people she has supported through grief um, because of her own loss. And I think that that it helps us rediscover or discover our own personal strengths it helps us rediscover kind of like, sometimes it's a transformative journey um, that requires introspection um, that kind of changes the trajectory of our life. Absolutely. I think grief when we um, are, are are ready to really embrace moving forward um, that that is when we are able to find a new sense of purpose um, and uh, finding ways to make the presence of the loved one um, felt in our daily lives. Yeah. And I think that that purpose and, and finding that purpose, there's hope. Yeah. yeah. Too. Um, and I think it can be really hard because you don't know how to move on and it's hard to move on. And there doesn't need to be a timeline for when to move on. But when you, when, you are ready to sort of rediscover that purpose and renewed hope. Um, you know, it, it will be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think we saved the most difficult, um, subject for last. And we wanted to talk about suicide. As we said in the beginning, um, people dying by suicide is on the rise. And so we wanted to talk, I think what is helpful for me It's I found this awesome sheet. It's actually from the state of Nevada on kind of like just how to talk about suicide, you know, so I want to address that. But first, I just want to say the big. So so a couple of things. We want to I want to hear I want our listeners to hear your point of view on this. Okay, I have been working with survivors of suicide a lot since 2020. And so instinctually, I'm like suicide, you know, must be up. Right. And so then I'm looking at the data and it is. And um, when I am working with survivors of suicide, like guilt is so heavy with survivors. And so it really pisses me off when everyone all over the place is giving tips on how to prevent suicide. Even this month was suicide prevention month. It kind of like pisses me off because then it's kind of like reinforcing the family members who survived of like, I should have done this. I should have known. I should have known. I should have done this. 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 And so it reinforces like, here's a list of the 10 things you can do to prevent suicide <clears throat> because ultimately it is that person's choice to end their life. And um, I understand like 
I understand that we we want to like have a sense of control, you know, and say like, oh, these are the things to look at, but it is not helpful at all for a survivor to read a list of 10 things I should have done. So that annoys me. But I do think I only want to talk about like the one thing I just want to talk about is that there it is a myth that talking about suicide or asking someone if they feel suicide will suicidal will encourage them to kill themselves. Right. So there's this fear, like, I'm not going to talk about it or they're going to kill themselves. But I think we should be very straightforward and ask if there was someone in our life who is possibly suffering from depression or acting in a way that has you concerned to just say, are you having thoughts of killing yourself? And just being blatant and ask them about it, you know, Um, but I think it's such a an incredibly complicated issue that it, I just don't think it can be simplified. So let's say you have a member who says, yes, I do want to kill myself, right? Well, I'm sorry, you're a lay person. What the hell are you supposed to do, right? And I mean, you can encourage them, like, let's go talk to somebody. Let's go to the hospital. Let's go have a therapist. Let's go do this. But they're, if they're an adult, I mean, what are you going to do? Drag them kicking and screaming. And then you don't even know they lie to therapists. People lie to the therapist all the time and then go kill themselves right after the therapy session. So Jess, um, would you say that again, going back to all of this, where we talked about all these mental frameworks, all these things, if this, then that, when we talk about suicide, it's not linear. It's impossible to know. Yes. Every single survivor of suicide I have seen has been a completely different story, completely different. And maybe there is this percentage of, of people who die by suicide, um, who do A, B, C, D, E, but that's not anybody I see. So, you know, the survivors that I'm saying, you know, um, and also just another myth, just be careful is there are people who maybe talk about suicide a lot, but, and so you think, oh, all they do is talk about killing themselves. So they're not going to do it. Um, that's not true either. Talking about it can be a plea for help, can be a late sign, Um, And so those are at risk, right? Um, I would just, you know, encourage you to connect them with people. Um, But what I would rather talk about today, instead of like the one, two, threes of prevention, which is just annoying to me, whatever. I'm sure I'll piss a lot of people off, but is just to kind of talk about how to talk about suicide. So I think what I found interesting is that we are not, wanting to say commit suicide anymore it's well and also i think there's such a stigma culturally about shame embarrassment like yeah something about this act that um for a lot of families um it's like something they don't like to talk about well because commit when you say commit it's like a crime, right? Like you committed this crime and it's selfish. Like, you did, like it's and bad it's a choice yeah. or whatever. What yeah. But like using neutral framing, like died by suicide, death by suicide or lost their life by suicide helps take away the shame and the blame. So I liked that. Yeah. Um, also another way to say it, which is, I think, interesting is like we said it already died by suicide or if a person like survived a suicide attempt or lived through a suicide attempt instead of saying unsuccessful suicide or failed suicide. Because like a notion of successful suicide is inappropriate because it frames a tragic outcome as an achievement of something positive. So, or, you know, be matter of fact, it's fatal or non-fatal. 
So I thought that was interesting. The other thing, so we said suicides on the rise, right? Or suicide is increasing and you don't want to say it's a suicide epidemic or that suicide is skyrocketing because it sparks panic. It makes it seem like suicide is inevitable um, or more common than it is. So I thought that was interesting. What are some of the ones that you saw that were interesting? Well, I, I think um, using the word um, suicidal is not, not, yeah, um, not necessarily. Because um, then you're like defining that person it. by their experience. Like they're more than just this little sliver of their thoughts. So it's by saying like so-and-so is facing suicide, is thinking of suicide, is suffering through suicidal thoughts. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and that goes into just more mental health stuff yeah. on saying, instead of saying so-and-so schizophrenic or they're bipolar or they're mentally ill, you can say people with mental illness, <clears throat> people living with schizophrenia, people experiencing bipolar um, and so instead of just like defining them by that thing. So I just go ahead. Where yeah, no. And I think because I think, you know, as a society, we're trying to get away from putting names on things as well in terms of putting people in a hole or putting people like, oh, that person's this or that person's that. And and really talking about more about what they're experiencing, um, because everything is very fluid, too, um, in terms of what people are going through. Yeah. And I think just to kind of summarize my random tangent <clears throat> is when it says like when we say epidemic, it makes it th seem like suicide is inevitable. And that's not what I'm saying. Like, I definitely think as with any mental health issue or any health issue of a human in your life, you know, we can look and say, oh, look, this is a marker that has me concerned about this person. I'm concerned about you. But um, it's just like if someone <clears throat> doesn't take their psychotropic medication, is that your fault then? If they, you know, like if someone is bipolar and then they're off on a manic episode, I just think there's, there are things that we can do to help support the people that we love, but with anything that is ultimately their choice on the way that they're going to manage their health. Yeah. And so I don't think there are as many like, tips on like, here's how to help someone who's diabetic in your family. Right. Here's how to help your mom with cancer. I don't know. It just, it's like with mental health, it's like, we want to give these tips yeah. and it's like, I'm sorry, you're not an expert. Am I telling you how to manage your, you know, your spouse's bad back? I don't know. Right. Well, also, I think it's, it's probably something that would you think in some ways, the reason why it's a bit of a black box is because when that person commits that act, you don't know what they were thinking in their final moments. Like nobody knows. Um, commit. I think you meant to say when they lose their lives, I'm sorry, when they, when they go through that process, like it's difficult. So like our world is full of these, like what works, what doesn't. And in this area, what you're saying is, we really don't know what specifically works. There's no recipe for preventing this right. because we right. don't know when that occurs. We're all, like, unicorns. We're all unicorns. Yeah. And I think it's because I see the survivor, they've created a narrative for themselves, right? The survivor has, 
you know, you, you know, what is it? Uh, hindsight's 2020, right? And so they're like, oh my gosh, now I'm looking back and seeing they did this and this, and I did that all wrong. And I should have done this. Like there's just the grief for a survivor of suicide is so very different than the grief of other losses. Other losses. And, um, and so, uh, it anyway, it's just, it's, is a very, very incredibly to me, nuanced and complicated and layered situation. That's so very specific for each person. Um, but I think like, I would like it to be suicide awareness month and not suicide prevention month. Right. Like, and just being able to say, Hey, in suicide awareness month, we want to give you some, like we talked about some myths out there and like, it's safe to talk about suicide and ask people these questions. Um, and these are some myths, but instead of being like, these are the four ways to help prevent suicide. That just irks me for what reason? I don't know. You know, you know well, because yeah. you, because <laughs> as a society, we are expecting there to be a, a diagnosis and yeah. a solution. And so as a survivor, those who have, you're saying expected to have known how it could have been prevented. And so instead of that instead control of, thing, yeah, you exactly. Go back to 4,000 weeks. It's too horrifying to think we don't have any control. So yeah. I'm going to create this illusion for you on a checklist. Um, so you feel better about it and have some control. But what you find now in your field is that that checklist even makes it harder because then everyone's like, Oh, I didn't look at those items yeah, on the checklist. Right, therefore it's right. my fault. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, it's not in the, in the people I see aren't necessarily, it, it, it wasn't, I mean, it's like 50, 50 on whether they knew the person was experiencing mental health issues and thinking about dying by suicide. But for some people it was a hundred percent total shock. It was just something that happened. No one had any idea. It's crazy. How's that? You know, you, you, how are you going to wrap your brain around that? Because I think like, and I know we talked about it, but it's like either way, like people tell themselves if they would have left a note, I'd have closure. And then other people are like, oh, I wish it would have just happened fast. And I didn't know, you know, so it's like, there's I think no easy way to navigate it. It just sucks. It sucks no matter what. Right. It well, and I like what you said, though, Jess, I mean, just in summary of this, where making an awareness is um, creating a safe place, right. To talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even, even with, um, our own kids about like this stuff happens. These right. people do these things or whatever and it and not putting a lot of necessary I think that's where there's such a a negative stigma around having a loss related to suicide versus other well we're raised Catholic. You they said you go straight to it's hell. It's the ultimate, yeah. Not like it's the ultimate selfish. Like yeah. The worst, most selfish thing. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Catholic Church. Yeah, so, I know. So that's right. part of the shame around it is it's like ooh, yeah. Yeah, no kidding. And I think it's more like with with my kids, I you know, um my kids have all said things like I'm gonna kill myself when they're in a mood. Then we have a talk about it. Right. Is that how you feel? Because if that's how you're feeling, these are the steps we need to take, you know, and I think in my practice, that's just something you do very first session. Have you had thoughts in the past 30 days about killing yourself? Have you had thought about dying or wish you could fall asleep and not wake up? I mean, just to have those questions, because to me, for the most part, we're talking about it being 
like a symptom, right? Um, Facing suicide is a symptom of an overall struggle that that person is having. And so how can we get that person to a place or to people that will help them um, discover and uncover the underlying issue? And that's, I mean, I think, um, but again, you can drop someone off at a doctor appointment. You can't shove medication down their throat. I mean, you know, yeah, if if we don't look at mental health, like, like we do physical health here. Right. I, I think. And so when we talk about shame and stigma, it's because it's like, we think it's like a personal choice or control, right? Get it together. Why are you anxious? Why are you depressed? Get up and go do something. But you wouldn't do that if you had cancer, right? You wouldn't be like, take away your cancer, get up, go. And I just think that it's inner, it's interlocked with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, you survived the episode, Kelly. Are you okay? Are you hot? Are you sweaty? Are you all right? Heavy, heavy, Jess. Yeah. I'm going to have to go like angry. I've got to go to the sun square breathing <laughs> something i don't know <laughs> gotta go uh ch- ch- change our energy you can right? go run around with your puppies at least you have know, a puppy to snuggle go, i gotta go take my puppy out he's very crazy um kelly what are you gonna do to bring joy for you today i'll get back to you uh, did you exercise I've been- today no, I will exercise. Um, I've been sitting outside working because I have a covered patio and it's been really beautiful out. And I can't believe how productive I was yesterday, just working, but working while I was outside. I don't know. It feels better than just being inside. I need sunshine. and I love being outdoors. That brings me a lot of joy. <clears throat> bumblebees do not bring me joy and i remember i had a talk with you one day i'm gonna go sit outside and there was like a bumblebee the size of a hummingbird and i was like never mind i don't want to be outside swatting at it and freaking out i don't swat at it i like i'm not like kill the bugs i'm just because i'm outside i feel like that's their territory but i also don't want them to i've been stung by bees and bumblebees i think an inappropriate amount compared to other people Beckett has been as well. So he's afraid of them. And Um, I've like this summer, I was like, I'm not going to be crazy. They come in the pool, they get water. I'm not going to be crazy. I'm going to let them fly and not. And this is like, I'm going to be super chill. And mom and I were in the pool and I was floating on a pool noodle. And I was like, ow, that hurt really bad. And I look over and there's a bee floating in the pool. And I was just stung. Like I wasn't doing anything. And I was like, really? So, but I'm still, but I'm not freaked out. I'm not angry. I'm, but I'm just saying if there was like a swarm of bees, I would probably try to remove myself and immediately I wouldn't get an exterminator, but I, you would see like, wow, she's a fast sprinter. (laughs) She can really book it for 44. (laughs) Anyways. So I get it back. I don't know. We're delicious. We're flowery. We're like, we're so beautiful. We must, Beckett and I must look like flowers. That's probably it. I thought so. All right. Well, thank you for listening. I hope yeah. we, we brought the mood up a little bit for you here at the end. Yes. 
Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe so you can hear our latest episodes as soon as they drop. And if you love today's episode, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. 